Yes, I was big in stature, but I was small in confidence. I trained my entire life for football. These people trained their entire life, whether they were engineers, pre-med majors, communication, and Syracuse is the number one communication school in America. You had triple majors. I was a dual major. I thought I was impressed. You had people triple major. And um, I'm like, whoa, this is something different. And then just speaking with the, these uh, kids that are my age and just seeing how they carry themselves and how they were already polished, it really was like, all right, this is another challenge. But Kevin, you're an athlete, you're a sport, you, you play sports. We, we enjoy challenges. So that was something that really lit the fire. Football was over. Now, this is my new field that I'm going to plan to dominate. I don't care how long it's going to take. I'm going to dominate life after football. I had um, the surprising career experience of losing my job twice before I turned 30. I can tell you when I graduated from Syracuse University, nobody told me that was going to happen. It happened five years after I started as a daily newspaper reporter in Philadelphia. And then it happened when I went and worked in the advertising arena. And I was not going to be prepared for that with my college degree. Had I not had those experiences, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. I would not have. And picking myself up and trying to figure myself out, new path that I need to go walking, was the only thing I could do. And it was a conversation with myself. I had to start that with me. This is Marcus Coleman, former Syracuse University football player, financial service associate for Park Square Financial Advisors, and treasurer of the NAACP Berkshire County Branch. And you are listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm Linda Dooley. I'm based in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. My career path took me from corporate communications to forming my own firm in 1998 Dooley and Company that specializes in workforce effectiveness. And then on in 2008 to forming the Dooley Leadership Experience, which specializes in career ownership, about finding your passion and about rising from adversity and seeing and seizing your best. And right now you are listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to have on two guests, which is something that I haven't had in a while, but it's a nice way to change the pace a little bit. My first guest is Linda Dooley, who is the president and founder of Dooley & Co. and the Dooley Leadership Experience. Uh, she's also a career ownership coach. Our second guest is Marcus Coleman, who's a former Syracuse University football player and a registered client service associate at Park Square Financial Advisors of Raymond James. And he also serves on the advisory board of the Dooley Leadership Experience. And he's also the former roommate of a guest of mine, Terrell Hunt, who I had on the show a few weeks ago. So Linda, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about what the Dooley Leadership Experience is and what your background is and how you and Marcus got together and how ultimately why we're here today to talk about taking ownership of your life after sports, particularly in regards to your career? Well, like that science is behind, we're all about the Dooley Leadership Experience, and you'll hear us call it the DLE, is all about career ownership and cultivating that. But I have to prelude the, the conversation about the DLE with just some insights about Dooley and Company, because Dooley and Company is the sole 
subsidizer of the Dooley Leadership Experience, which enables fee-free professional development and networking. So Dooley and Company is a organization that I started, a consultancy in 1998 that specializes in workforce engagement and leadership development. I've had the privilege of working with large, complex Fortune 500 organizations on their organizational effectiveness and their, their leadership readiness. During the 2007 and 2008 period, and you'll remember the market was really in a doomsday spiral, very much like the pandemic era, I did a lot in looking and working with new hires coming into the workplace, and I saw that they really lacked a proactiveness and awareness and a confidence with their own professional development and, most importantly, their internal networking. So um, I'm a devout and dedicated Syracuse University alum, so is Marcus, and I thought, what better way to help my university not just write a check, but do something to help the people that most dignify our university, and that's our alumni, making a difference in the work world and the nonprofit world. So um, I came up with an idea, really designed a program that would offer opportunities for seniors who are graduating, going to the workplace to enhance their professional development and their networking. I proposed it to, at that time, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, She got it. She understood the need. They don't teach a lot of this career readiness in college. They might teach skills to help you vocationally be technically adept, but not really that professional development that helps you be a career owner. And so we maidened it. The the first DLE experience took place in 2008, and it was a pilot that proved to be wildly successful, and it grew until 2016 in partnership with Syracuse University. We have hundreds of alumni, we call them alumni, we still stay very, very connected, who went on and really went into whole new arenas of life, of career development based on their experience they got through the Dooley Leadership Experience. And it's a very intense training program that really does have a profound and lasting impact. It helps you really start to discover the you that you're going to have to market and successfully grow in a career. That's a a great explanation. And it's cool that you took an issue that you saw in your own line of work and tried to fi- come up with a solution for it. That's, that's great. So Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about what ultimately ended your football career and how Dooley Leadership Experience helped you in, to transform your life after football? First, Kevin, thank you for having me. Thank you for having Linda on this. Linda had a huge impact on my life and continuously does right now. How I was introduced to the DLE was through a tragedy. So I was medically disqualified after my junior year in college. And a lot of times through tragedies, you got to try to find the silver lining. I didn't have to try and find it. It was put in front of me. It was an opportunity to apply to the DLE and that's the Dewey Leadership Experience. And it's something I wasn't versed in, but the academic advisor said, this is a great opportunity to help you transition and prepare for corporate America. So I said, "Let let me apply. (laughs) And that was the first step of my realization, like, okay, I need to work on some things to get prepared because just from the application, you had a cover letter, you had to answer several questions, and then you had three interviews. And the three interviews, one was virtual via Zoom before COVID, which was um, something that in school you really didn't prepare when you're doing virtual interviews. And just to take a step back, how I was medically disqualified. I had several surgeries on my ankles and toes and 
lower extremities because I was a undersized guy in the ACC. So I was six one, six foot, 300 pounds. So I had put a lot of pressure on my frame. As a result, I really wore down my joints and it got to a point where the team doctor said, it's probably the best decision for you to hang up your cleats. And, and I followed th- those directions. So I don't want to get too far away from that moment because that's got to be a tough pill to swallow. So how did you get from being told that you shouldn't play football anymore, something that I'm sure you did most of your life, to having the open mind to... It, did you go to the ed- academic advisor and to say, yeah, I think I'm going to you know, apply to this dual leadership experience, knowing probably nothing about it other than it probably is a good thing to do? I was a dual major at Syracuse. So I majored in finance and supply chain. So I was a good academic student. You had to have a certain GPA to do a major. But as my career went on, we all want to start any team you're on and you want to get better. And I was realizing my body's not healing as much. So I was putting even more time into football, whether it's training, stretching, film. And I wasn't really focusing on school. My GPA was still good, but that wasn't my main focus. My life was football. And my academic advisor knew that I had a lot of potential in the real world. And he didn't want me to fall into a depression and saying, what's next? And I was lost. And without that academic advisor, I probably would have been depressed and made some bad decisions because of dealing with that loss. It, was a, it wasn't just a loss of a sport I love. It was a loss of an identity that I had for years. I was known as Marcus Coleman, a football player. Now I'm just Marcus Coleman. Who am I? And the DLE helped me realize that I was more than just football. And that was probably one of the first things I had to accept and realize that identity was gone. That's not what made Marcus Coleman in the first place. And I, you probably can relate to that, being an athlete that was medically disqualified as well. Yeah, and Marcus man. had to earn a slot. The door wasn't just open to him. Marcus had to compete at that. In, in his, his year, we had close to 300 applications for only 18 scholarships to the dual leadership experience. That's a lot of competition. As he mentioned, it was a very rigorous process to earn a scholarship, but it was designed for real world applicability. Because if you're going to go into the business world or even nonprofit world, you're going to go through a series of interviews and people are going to be judging you. And how are you projecting your image? How are you projecting your message that makes you, I got to hire, I got to hire this person. So he really got that experience as did our other applicants right in the whole process of applying and saying, this is, this is going to be a serious program. No, I mean, and Marcus, I, I got chills when you were talking and telling your story. So yeah, it, it obviously resonates because it struck a chord, you know, biologically in me just now. But Linda, I know when we had previously spoke, you mentioned a story of a of a classmate of yours who had a similar type story to Marcus's in that he had a career-ending yeah. injury and he didn't have something like the, yeah. the DLE to to kind of show him that he's more than just a football player. Can you tell me a little bit about that story and the why behind kind of your interest in medically disqualified athletes? So my best friend in college played football, uh, like Marcus did. And my best friend, John, had a career-ending injury his junior year. Like Marcus, like most athletes who envisioned themselves on one field, it's the playing field. John didn't know how to go and transition to another field. He didn't have a playbook. He didn't have a coach telling him what to do and where to go, when to show up. 
And he really did struggle in post-college, in finding a vocation. He was the strongest guy that I knew. And I watched what was the strongest guy. And I don't mean physical strength. John just was an amazing inspiration for me. And I saw someone really dissolving and also being kind of left behind because he had no value anymore at the university on the field to what do I do now? And he and I have stayed in touch to this day. And I'm pleased to say his, he has found his niche and has an amazing career. He happens to be a varsity football coach for Everett High School, which is a powerhouse high school in uh, Massachusetts. But it made an impact to me that when I started the dual leadership experience in 2018, I wanted of those two scholarships, two of them, of those 18 scholarships, two had to go to athletes and they had to compete to get them. But I felt I would have dedicated a whole program. At one time, I wanted to do a program just for athletes at Syracuse because I found that their readiness to move on and understand how to do that was severely lacking, more than the average student. And by the way, I would have liked the dual leadership experience when I was at Syracuse too. <laughs> but I, I just had a very strong commitment because I lived it with my best friend and watched the transition and felt that I needed to figure out how to give back to athletes. And it had to be when they got hurt. When they got hurt, because then they could accept the scholarship. You know, things have changed right now with the NCAA. But at that time, they had to have no more capability of having a college athletic career. Yeah, I mean, you, you obviously are way ahead of the, the curve. I think those things are starting to pop up, these beyond football programs and, and stuff at schools that in some ways I see as like a recruiting tactic. But in other ways, I see legitimate programs that are pumping out some really you know quality content for, for these young men and women. For me, it was more though, Kevin, than more than just getting them to graduate. It was to go on and have them be having confident, be confident in having inspirational, successful careers, making a difference. Yeah, Marcus, you you had mentioned this uh, one statement in, in your in telling us your story. You said when you got to the the DLE experience that you learned that you were more than just a football player. That that was the catalyst that kind of helped teach you that. Can you take us through that experience of walking into the, the Dewey leadership experience, thinking I'm Marcus, the football player, and what transpired over that time where you're like, oh, I'm so much more than just a football player. Can you take us through that? Yeah. So when I first went into the DLE after getting accepted and seeing the cohort, yes, I was big in stature, but I was small in confidence. I trained my entire life for football. These people trained their entire life, whether engineers, pre-med majors, communication, and Syracuse is number one communication school in America. You had triple majors. I was a dual major. I thought I was impressed. You had people triple major. And um, I'm like, whoa, this is something different. And then just speaking with these uh, kids that are my age and just seeing how they carry themselves and how they were already polished, it really was like, all right, this is another challenge, but Kevin, you're an athlete, you're a sport, you, you play sports, we, we enjoy challenges. So that was something that really lit the fire. Football was over, now this is my new field that I'm gonna to plan to dominate. I don't care how long it's gonna take, I'm gonna dominate life after football. I think what Marcus learned though is they were as 
lacking in confidence as he was, okay? Because the common field was just because, you know, I've got the triple major and all, that doesn't mean that I've showed it up on how to go out there, build relationships with people who aren't just like me. Because in college, you tend to hang around with people who are just like you or kind of like you. Well, now you've got to go in and build the relationships with people who are nothing in common with you, whether they're bosses or, or, or peers or in another part of the division that if you're in a large company and you got to have them want to work with you. They have to want to work with you. Yeah. And kind of what I'm, I'm hearing is I'm big on like doing hard things. Mm-hmm. Like when you, when you do hard things, like good things happen. And when Marcus said that he went into this experience, you know, he wanted to, to conquer his life after football. I actually disagree in some ways that I think some athletes view that kind of thing where like football is almost easy for them or their, their sport is easy. That's not like a hard thing. Like they can go out there on the field and do what to an observer looks hard, but it's actually not. And when they would get an opportunity to do something like the dual leadership experience, they'd be like, nah, like, I don't, I don't want to do that because it is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, but it, it was able to give you this experience. So that was just my uh, observation. Mm-hmm. But Marcus, can you get into some more specifics about what exactly was hindering you from that transformation after football? I, I remember in our previous conversation leading up to this uh, recording, kind of like how you use your hands and, and stuff like that. Like, what were those little nuances that you learned through that DLE experience that helped you transform? And then after that, maybe Linda, if you can comment on common things that you see athletes and non-athletes, you know, college grads struggle with that keep them from really excelling in in their new uh, field? First thing, I would take a step back to Syracuse. So when you're a scholarship athlete, you work out in the summer and you take classes, but you don't do internships. So I didn't have exposure in financial firms. I didn't get an internship until I was medically disqualified because my schedule permitted it. And that's a huge disadvantage when you don't have And as an intern, you can see an environment, you can understand, you can see how things work and and you don't have, the job doesn't have any expectations on you because they're not paying you or if they are paying you, it's nominal. So that's one thing I wish I had. Then I chose an industry that's very competitive and very conservative as well, not political, but just in finance. So I went into personal finance and I had an entrepreneur drive, but like Linda mentioned, she kind of alluded to it. It's human nature for us to congregate with people that are similar to us. So I had a way of communication that was great for the community that I was surrounded in. So football athletes, people from inner cities. So how I communicated in that environment was good. I was respected. I was a leader. Didn't have any impact on my ability to perform a job. Then you transition to wealth management. I'm just a kid from Camden, New Jersey, which is an inner city single mother. My father was a heroin addict. I have no money. And I'm saying, hey, I want you to trust me and manage your money. And then also, like Linda alluded to, I had to sell myself to get on teams in corporate America. And it was tough because there's no, literally no one like me in uh, personal finance. It made it a real challenge because I had to learn how to communicate. So maybe if I was in football and in inner city, I could be direct. And direct was a form of being respectful. But 
then corporate America potentially being too direct as a form of being disrespectful and being direct to your manager. And then, I mean, one thing that's really big was my uh, communication. So I use a lot of slang because that's where I grew up. Also, I spoke really fast because that's what, how I grew up. A lot of people around me spoke fast. I got into corporate America speaking fast. People couldn't understand me. My accent made it difficult for people to understand me. And these are things I had to work on that in college, you're not going to talk to you about. And that's what the daily really helped me polish myself, how to present myself to people that I want to become clients and also how do I present myself to my colleagues so they want to work with me on their teams. Yeah, we spend time, and when I say we, the faculty of the DLE are not academics. They are business leaders who are leading organizations who can now, you're going to, in, in, the, in our, the gem of the DLE's three-day transformative retreat, you're going to spend three days with people who are leading organizations, and you're going to learn about what they expect of you coming into a company, how you're going to get on their radar screen and how you're going to grow a career. And it's not waiting for HR to come tap on your shoulder and say, we've got a new promotion for you. It's for you being proactive, seeing opportunities, reaching out, knowing that I've got to meet new people every single day within and outside of my organization and get out of my comfort zone. So getting out of that comfort zone is one of the biggest thing that we really do help our alumni learn. And that's, and that, isn't an overnight you know, transformation by any stretch, but the diversity of the leaders that Marcus got to in any of our, our retreat uh, alumni experience also helps build some confidence. I mean, he's forming a relationship with a CEO. He's forming a relationship with a business leader in a weekend experience where those leaders want to learn as much from Marcus as Marcus wants to learn from them because they want to learn, how do I attract millennial talent? What do I need to do to have a workplace? And especially now, by the way, especially now in this very different workplace, what do I need to have a workplace that makes somebody want to come and be part of my firm and give 100%? So there's right. a quid pro quo with the faculty too, but they're not academics. It's not theory. And that's what I think that's what Linda is trying to explain. No knock against academics. My mom no. is a teacher. However, there's a big difference between theory in practicality, when you actually have to apply that knowledge that you learn, is a totally different thing in the real world because you're dealing with humans. The humans are emotional, they're random. It's not just X, Y, Z. It might be X, A, B, C, D. It could go all over the place. <laughs> To Marcus's point about communications, we spend time on personal branding, and and the, there's a 3V model that we really work with our alumni on, and it's your verbals, your vocals, and your visuals, okay? You are the billboard of you, and you sell yourself most in your visuals, in how I look. How do I walk in a room? How do I sit down? You know, am I looking like I'm engaged? Am I reluctant? And then my sound, my tone is the second dominant part of what forms my brand. And the last thing, not that it's not important, are the words. But people remember for you on how you came into a room, looked somebody in the eye, stretched out your hand now that we can shake hands again, and said, really delighted to meet you. Or that you kind of slithered in and kind of sat back and looked very timid and shy and unsure. Yeah. I mean, those are great examples on on how... I mean, everyone can, who's listening to this can think of people that they know that, yeah, they're slouching, they're like got their head down or something like Nobody wants to work with someone who's like that. Or same with the voice thing. Like if you're like, oh yeah, hey, you know, like as someone's walking by, like 
that's not inspiring or fun to be around. Like you want to have some energy and some inflection in your voice that makes people want to work for you and make them think, Oh yeah, that guy, Marcus, he was really nice. Like when I walked past his office, like, I wonder what he's interested in or something. But I think those are some concrete things that athletes listening to this can hopefully take a look at themselves and be like, all right, well, how do I shake someone's hand? And am I looking them in the eye and those kind of things. So Marcus, you, you, you listed off a, a, a few things that you seems like you had to put a lot of work in to do. So like, how did you do it? Like <laughs> you seem like you speak very well to me and I, you know, everything that you were explaining seems like you address all of those things, but how hard was it? And I guess like, how did you do it? Oh, so it's, it's two things. The art of learning is repetition. So keep doing it. Something that's hard, you do it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. If you stop when it's hard, you never, you never overcome that challenge and it'll always be hard to you. And then the second thing is extreme ownership. So it's really easy to be a finger pointer, not a dumb pointer. And there was times over the past five years that sometimes I was a finger pointer, but I had always had to look back at myself. What can I do? How did I present myself in this situation? And just those two principles, it really helped me progress. And mind you, I might not be in a position of VP or president at a firm, which you consider success, but I always tell people, look at yourself from where you came. So I always look back of 2017, I'm in first time in the industry, mm-hmm. to now, it's drastically different. And also when you see improvement, it makes you hungrier. It's almost like when you lose weight, you see all that hard work, you want to keep losing weight. You want to keep getting your body there. And Linda was there also having the support. I mean, to be honest with you, you're going to have bad days. You're not going to be motivated every single day. That's not real. (laughs) You're going to need people that's around you that you know care for you that can be a support when those days are tough or those months are tough. I had that. I I had some tough months. And if I didn't have Linda and a, a great support team around me, I don't know where I'll be right now. The other thing is, Marcus, you mentioned continuous learning. So the evolution of the Dooley Leadership Experience. In 2016, we ended our relationship, our partnership with Syracuse University and became an independent entity. And that meant we do our own programming and we do our own workshops in addition to have a transformative annual retreat. Well, we grew enormously in 2020 with COVID because we took all of our programming, we went remote, and we affected hundreds of people from 20-something to 40-something every week in programs that had to do with career development, professional development, networking. So we're all about learning and networking. So Marcus is actively involved on the advisory board, but also in attending and leading many of these. So he challenged himself. He had to step up. He actually was the instrumental voice and force behind us saying, oh my God, COVID is hit. Now what? To we're going remote. And, you know, he had to drag me into the world of Zoom, but it was the best thing that happened. So he is, and as are all of our alumni and people who join us, and you can join us, everyone should come to dle.dooley.com. Please join. Membership is free. Programming is fee-free. But every day, every week, meeting different people from all over, and you're stuck in your room, and you're meeting people from Brazil, or you're meeting someone who is, you know, on the West Coast and in a totally different industry than you, and forming relationships and learning from them. Yeah, no, that, that's all. That's all incredible. And I, I know Marcus, you had mentioned the extreme ownership. Are you guys big uh, Jocko Willink fans? Or yes, 
So just recently, I'm part of a mentorship program at Raymond James I was selected to. And the mentor that I have just purchased that book for me about two weeks ago. And that book is great. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins is great. I really go to our military for inspiration and and really on leadership and organization structure because we hands in America, we have the best military in the world, hands down. And only way they became the best military in the world is discipline, their organizational structure, that extreme ownership that we're gonna, I'm gonna make sure I do everything I can control, control the controllables to execute this mission. In that book, Extreme Ownership, Joko did a great job of explaining extreme ownership. Yeah, but what's cool is that it seems like you kind of learned it and embraced extreme ownership before you even got the book. So I think that's impressive too. And I think especially when we're talking about injured athletes, it's very easy to default with the victim. Like I'm the victim of my own my own story, which is a really a very frustrating and tough place to be. And I think the other thing, I'm a big uh, Goggins fan too. I like, I read the book twice. Yeah. I like, I like all that stuff. The other thing is the continuous learning. And I think, again, it's easy to get complacent, but by taking extreme ownership, you can avoid a lot, a lot of that. So we also talked about, I was curious, like maybe Linda can tell us some tips and then how Marcus use some of these tips to do these things. Um, but I was looking for tips for athletes about finding mentors, networking, storytelling, and, and branding specifically. Because it's not easy to like go up to someone that you admire their work and to say, oh, can I like, what can, can I shadow you? Like, I guess, how do you, yeah, what's their tips for approaching that for listeners? But it's actually easier than it was when I graduated from college because of something called LinkedIn. And if I want to connect with somebody and I've studied them or someone suggests me, suggests, oh, this is a good person for you to meet. There's this accessibility that I've got now that's incredible. And if I, I know personally, I do. I know Marcus says 20 minutes a day on LinkedIn, you should be looking at people in your industry who are in jobs you want to have. You should be looking at people who are from your alma mater and looking to connect with them. I know Syracuse grads connect with Syracuse grads and will give you the time of day for advice. And maybe they know someone and you're asking them about uh, an interest you have who becomes a mentor. You just never know where that mentor may be. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go find them. It could be somebody opens the door in a relationship for you to meet somebody. I actually just did it today with someone that Marcus knows very well who graduated from Syracuse, played football, and he's excelling in sales. And I connected him with a friend of mine who's a CRO who was also a Syracuse grad. And I hope wonderful magic happens right now from this relationship. So it's like that. So 20 minutes a day, LinkedIn, use it. It's an extraordinary tool. I think the other thing thing is volunteer in your community. Get out, meet people, join nonprofits, join causes you believe in and get yourself known in the community. But also it's a great way for you to meet other people of other generations and industries and backgrounds. And I think also join a professional organization. I mean, I, I, I put the DLE out there. Yes, join the Dooley Leadership Experience. But if you're in finance or if you're in engineering, there are professional organizations. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the uh, Society for Human Resource Management because I deal in in my consulting world in organizational effectiveness. So join a professional organization. So all of these open new doors to learning and networking, but you've got to take the ownership of this 
I can't tell you to do LinkedIn 20 minutes a day. I can recommend it, but I can't call you up and say, "Go, Kevin, you should do it. Did you do your LinkedIn? And then you should have three really good resources that you read every day. I read the Harvard Business Review online. They, they have amazing articles and clips. Marcus and I are always sharing articles back and forth. I read the Wall Street Journal. And then I read a, a free subscription service called Smart Brief on Leadership. And those three are must go to for what I do for my professional development, for my constant learning about organizational change at a time that I've never seen in my life with three dimensional workplaces. So what are the three things every day you would read? Three sources to educate yourself. Remember in college, you used to get a curriculum. Well, now you got to develop your own curriculum. Yeah. I mean, those are all examples of, of taking ownership. And I know we're, we've mentioned Jocko's book. And one of the things that I always think about is his line that discipline equals freedom, where in to an, I don't know, to many that might sound like discipline is like going to jail. Like how is that freedom? It's like the opposite. But when you do the things like Linda had just explained on a consistent basis, you have the discipline to do that day in, day out. It opens up these doors for a mentor to come into your life or for other networking opportunities or for a potential job that you're looking for. When you have that discipline, it it gives you the freedom to have those opportunities come. Because if you aren't disciplined in doing that, then most likely those opportunities will never come. But that's validation is what what I was kind of going for. So Marcus, you've kind of embraced that along the way. And how has that worked out for you? Is that what led you to the current position that you're in now or... Yeah, Linda, I mean, she that was great points. Everyone needs to write those down. Um, <laughs> but I use a great example, and I, I use this with everyone, executive writing. So in corporate America, you're going to be sending a lot of emails. You're going to be writing up reports. That was an opportunity for me to improve on the grammar side and also clear writing. So what I did, I didn't say, look, I need to change my job because I don't know how to write. So I need to go to a whole nother position. I said, what tools do I have that I can leverage? So one of the tools was Grammarly. Grammarly is a software that I use. So anything I type up, so even outside of work, I type it in Grammarly so I can see how to be how to clearly share a message. That's one thing. So use the resources around you to develop a skill. Number two, with networking, LinkedIn, that's how me and you got connected, Kevin. I constantly look at LinkedIn not because I want to show off all my accomplishments, but I study people that are in the roles that I want to be in. How are they positioning themselves? What are they posting? What are they following? What do they like? Then also I see other people's comments. What it is so much learning that can happen on LinkedIn. And it's not just for networking. You can learn how to better position yourself, how to sell yourself in your own field. And then the last thing is the service. So Linda's Linda and the DLE always stress giving back to your community. And a lot of times people go, I don't have enough time, work is so hard, I can't get back. But they don't realize giving back is a selfish thing as well because you get to develop skills that potentially you don't have the opportunity to develop at work, but you can develop those skills at a nonprofit. Now you created, you open a new opportunity for yourself. Also for me, I moved to a new place during COVID. So I moved and took a new job March 2nd, 2020. March 17th, Governor Baker in Massachusetts had to stay at home order. During COVID, just using the principles I learned from the DLE, I became the treasurer of a nonprofit organization without physically meeting any of those people in person. 
So a lot of people said, oh, COVID, you can't network. That's a lie. <laughs> if you tried and you put yourself out there, extreme ownership, COVID happened. What next? How do I overcome that adversity? And you'll be surprised all the things that you accomplished. And once again, the Joko, the book, Extreme Ownership, I recommend that to everyone because it's, it's so amazing when you just say, look, what can I do to make my situation better? You'll be surprised what you can do. You have so much talent in ourselves. Yeah. And I even think back to like me with the podcast, like the podcast is a lot of work. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And I, is. I was doing it very consistently every week for probably a few years. And then I got burnt out. I just like, didn't want to do it anymore. Cause it was just like, it was hard. <laughs> That's, I got lazy. Yeah. But then, you know, when you're sitting around looking at yourself, like, well, what am I doing? What's not happening? And how am I not reaching my goals? Well, it's because you're not doing anything. And by having the discipline to start it back up again and to reach out to people to try to get people on the show, that's why I'm sitting here with you guys. And I get this opportunity to learn about the DLE and all these you know, great tips that I can now share with my audience. But if I just continue to you know, sit in my cubicle at work and decide not to work on the podcast, this never happens. So yeah, it's, it's another example of, of all that. I give you one more tip because this drives me crazy. This is a lovely device. This is wonderful. You have to put this away. You have to answer your phone and you have to have conversations because texting is not a conversation. And the conversational skills, your ability to have conversations is what gets you remembered and noticed. And I'm seeing an erosion on that. I'm also seeing people, this is like a pacifier that people don't know how to put away. And you've got to untether. And the worst thing is if I'm going to have a conversation with you in person and I only see the top of your head because this is a position you're most comfortable with, you've lost out completely. So I really encourage your, your listeners to excel in their conversation skills, answer the phone, make phone calls. That is one of the things that I had to let people know during the Zoom. We're still in Zoom, but there are times when I will say, I'm not going to do a Zoom call. I'm actually going to have a converse phone conversation with you. And we don't need to look at each other. Let's take a break from the from the 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 visual here and let's just walk around in our separate locations 10 minutes and we'll do pacing. But let's just have a phone conversation where we really have to now absorb each other's words, not study the background of what we're doing because the art of conversation is is extraordinary. No, I I agree. I'm not like addicted to my phone, but it's definitely a crutch. Like, especially when you're bored, you can just like scroll through Instagram for 30 minutes and have no idea like that 30 <laughs> minutes went by. And it's a complete waste of your time for the most part. There is some value, I guess, at, at times, but no, I, I couldn't agree. Highlights. So, so <laughs> yeah. like Mark, like Marcus, I happened to move full time to the Berkshires where he and I are both located. And I'm not from here. And this is the first community I've lived in where 80% of the people are from here. I've lived in communities where 80% of the people are not from here. As a result, as outsiders, you have to work very hard to break in. And I discovered a, a coffee shop that I would go to. And we were there this morning, every morning, and get in line because their process flow isn't good. And what do most people do when they get in line? They have to wait 10 minutes is what? <laughs> I made conversation with the person in front of me and the back of me and introduced myself. And people wondered, how have you met so many people so quickly once you moved here? And it's because I needed to meet people. <laughs> I, I want, this is my home. I want to become a part of this community. And I'm going to stretch out my hand, introduce myself and make small talk. 
And it worked. I got to know a lot of people in my first year here by standing in a coffee line and having conversation. Small talk, small talk. The art of small talk. Linda, Mm -hmm. Linda, that's a great point. So the art of small talk is great in the acronym that people can remember that will help you in those situations. It's called FORM. So FORM, the acronym F stands for family, O stands for occupation, R stands for recreation, and M stands for motivation. If you never know what to talk talk about with someone, remember that acronym and you'll be able to have a conversation for hours. I promise you that. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I, I always say when people move to like a new location, I used to do CrossFit, but like, I'm like, go to a CrossFit gym. Like you can't use a phone while you're working out, but you, and you put the phones away always when you go there and you'll get instant friends. I guarantee you that can show you around. All right. That's, that's great. So I also want to get into like storytelling because I'm big on the story that I'm trying to tell myself. Like my Mm -hmm. internal story is always, is not always the best story that I'm telling myself. Like it, it falls into that victim you know, mindset sometimes I kind of have to reel myself back in and and rephrase that story. So maybe Marcus, can you tell us like how your story has evolved and how you kind of like, and how it relates to your personal brand and how you interact with people? I'm going to use an example that potentially could be controversial, but I think it needs to be talked about. So for me, I think a transition that I went through over the last five years is I use two things as a crutch, my economic background and the color of my skin. And a lot of times now I realize a lot of times my economic background, the color of my skin had no impact on the situation that I was in. It was actually skills I need to develop in that process. It's tough because potentially you might have family and friends. They're trying to be support, but they might be giving you biased information. They're not going to tell you the truth. And Over those last five years, I got to a point now where I understand that it was the skills. There was a gap in skills that I needed to develop to get to the positions that I wanted to get into. So I really stress that to a lot of athletes that play football and basketball that comes from similar backgrounds that I have. It might be challenging when you go into corporate America or whatever endeavor you do after football. But remember in your head, just take ownership. Always think it's a skill development. And it's not these other factors. And you'll be surprised how many doors open up when you have that mindset. But once you have that victim mindset, so many doors close and it makes it worse. So you, it's like confirmation bias. If you have that victim mindset and people know you have that victim mindset, you're closing these doors and then you're, conf- you're confirming, say, oh, yeah, reasons why the doors are closed is because I'm X, Y, and Z. I'm a girl. I don't speak well. I don't have that much money. Everyone has disadvantages, but it's the disadvantages don't make who you are as a person. That's a part of your story. That's what makes it so great. Mm-hmm. Your story is the disadvantages that you overcame and you should embrace that because I tell people all the time, I want to have an interesting story. I want to have an interesting book. When I turn 70 years old and I look back on my life, I wanted to have some adversity that I overcame. No one wants to hear, read a book all about good because it's not real. And that's how I, I kind of look at stuff now. And it made it's made a huge impact. And Linda has witnessed it over the last year and a half. Just that change in mindset has opened so many doors for me. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. And uh, you're definitely, you're, you're living that story. So that's, that's cool, man. So yeah, well, that was one of my questions is like, have you talked to some of your former teammates about 
like who might be struggling in that transformation. And like, is that, that's the advice you give them is like the skill acquisition. I think that's a huge thing. Even like, if you think about it from an athlete's perspective, like you spend day in, day out, like trying to hone your skills. Mm-hmm. Like that's how you get better. That's how you improve. And I think a lot of ways that's, that's what makes you feel good about playing sports is like getting better, but to flip that switch and to, to turn it into uh, get it from a new field isn't always intuitive and it's cause it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and you brought, you used a great analogy in sports. I have never became a starter from complaining to my coach. <laughs> I ne- that never worked. Only way I became a starter is like you mentioned, okay, I'm a backup to this person. I'm going to work my butt off to develop the skill to make me better than that person. And if, if a lot of athletes take that same mindset, <laughs> the transition won't be that hard. But like you mentioned, Kevin, a lot of athletes have natural talent. So what it might look hard to other people is really easy for them. And what I tell them is you might not have the natural talent in corporate America or whatever you want to, anything after sports. But I can tell you hard work does a lot of great things. It doesn't guarantee you success, but it damn sure is the prerequisite to success. And that's what you have to remember. It's not going to be easy. This work, work at it, work at it, work at it. And eventually you're, you develop that skill and you look back and like, I really struggled over that. And then you now you're looking forward to embrace the next challenge because the high of overcoming something that was hard to you is the best feeling in the world. You're going to start chasing that. You're going to look for adverse. You're going to look for challenges because you want to overcome it because it feels so good. It's that, uh, that Goggins callous mind over there. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to live it. <laughs> yeah, man, you are, man. I had um, the surprising career experience of losing my job twice before I turned 30. I can tell you when I graduated from Syracuse University, nobody told me that was going to happen. It happened five years after I started as a daily newspaper reporter in Philadelphia. And then it happened when I went and worked in the advertising arena. And I was not going to be prepared for that with my college degree. Had I not had those experiences, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. I would not have. And picking myself up and trying to figure myself out, new path that I need to go walking was the only thing I could do. And it was a conversation with myself. I had to start that with me. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And as we kind of wrap up the conversation here, like I appreciate all the the tips and, and stuff that you're giving, giving our audience. So yeah, as, as we wrap up, how can listeners get involved with DLE and um, connect with you guys online? LinkedIn. Remember LinkedIn? <laughs> Marcus and I are very avid users. And my last name is D-U-L-Y-E. Probably the only D-U-L-Y-E you will find on LinkedIn, by the way. So it's really easy to connect with me. The Dooley Leadership Experience has a very active website that lists all of our programs and profiles, our, our amazing community, inter- international community. And that's dle.dooley.com. I encourage, again, there's a membership form there. It is fee-free. There's nothing stopping you from doing that today. And you will get an outreach from me. You'll get one from Marcus when you do. And we'll connect you with other amazing people who have been in similar situations of all of us. Where am I now? I'm really lost. How do I pick myself up? And they've become an entrepreneur. One became an entrepreneur in his sophomore year in in college, and he's now running a a business that's a a product that's sold all over the world. It's amazing. I think he's 26 or 25. So an amazing community of people who have all fallen down. I mean, we've all fallen down, but you can't get better if you don't fall down. You just can't. 
And that's, by the way, the number one uh, we mentioned about service. Service is a big thing. We love to give back to our community. But the other one that you'll instantly experience with us is we're supportive. This is a community that wants to support each other. And so attitudes and egos don't really fit into the dually leadership experience. And what about you, Marcus? Well, I have a joke. It took me three years to learn how to spell Lynn's last name. So <laughs> it true. is D-U-L-Y-E for everyone. It is listening. true. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like Linda mentioned, yeah, we talked a lot about ownership and being tough. We all know that we're humans. So <laughs> we're here to support. We're, we're not going to act like we're robots and we never have bad days. We're here. We're, we're not going to just pound you and say you need to work harder. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn is Mark, M-A-R-C, last name Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Also, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me anywhere. I'm pretty much an open book. I'm willing to share my life with you and um, reach out if you want to just have a random conversation. Are you looking to connect with someone? Whatever you need, this I'm, I'm here. Uh, it'll all be linked up in... Uh... At headsandtails.org for, for the listeners that want to have easy access to to those profiles to connect. And um, I end every podcast with the, the same question. And that's, what's your definition of toughness? And for Marcus, I'm curious what your definition of toughness was while playing football. And then now what's your, what's your definition of toughness now? So there's a picture behind my head there. And I don't think your folks can see it, but it, it really in photos describes my definition of toughness, which is rising from adversity. That is my family's business on fire when I was eight years old. I got called out of my elementary school. I was asked by the principal. My parents needed me to come down to the business that was located about six blocks. They would never do this today. Six blocks from where my elementary school was. And I got there to watch my family's business burn down. And that's probably one of the hardest things as a child to experience because you can't quite process it. But I saw two people who were self-made figure out how we're going to move forward tomorrow. And that I didn't know would become really sort of my precursor to my life. I've had lots of setbacks with family members becoming chronically ill, with losing, as I mentioned, my job. And I think toughness, it isn't about how much I work out. I work out every day. I'm a very avid rower and spinner and swimmer, but it's about how much. So physical toughness is important, but my mental toughness is how much can I pick myself up and rise from adversity and move forward, learn but move forward because it's going to happen. It's, it's life. And wallowing in, in adversity doesn't really build character, friends, or fun. And I don't think I want that <laughs> to be my life in, at all. So that's my definition. I also, my very favorite movie is Silver Lining Playbook, not just because I'm an Eagles fan, yeah. but the whole thing about seeing silver linings. And if you got to go and see those silver linings every day. Great definition. And cool story too. <laughs> I feel like all the skills that we talked about today was just like all encompassed in that definition right there. Linda's family has a, a great story. And I mean, that's, that's a whole nother episode and podcast. <laughs> um, it, it's truly the personification of being American. And that's the best way to explain it. And to give a form of toughness for me, before I go to that, I do want to bring up a point. So Linda's grandmother, first generation back in 1920, came to America. Now, mind you, in the 1920s, women just got the right to vote. And she owned stocks at that time. And at that time, women didn't own stock. You had to have your husband or a male purchase it for you. And 
that's toughness right there. Toughness is when you don't have an example, you you are on the vanguard of something. There's no one before you that can have a path and write it out. So in football, toughness for me was just, I'm going to outwork you. I'm just going to, I'm going to dominate you. That that was toughness. And like men, Linda mentioned, I transitioned toughness to the mental side. Real toughness is doing something every single day and not seeing results. That's toughness. And eventually the results do happen, but you never know. A lot of times it might take you two years. In my case, five years of just grinding and grinding and grinding until you see results. So that's true toughness. Just fighting a good fight and never quitting. And remember, everyone is working hard. Hard work is the prerequisite for success, but it doesn't guarantee you success. So don't say I work hard. I need this. You ain't entitled to anything. Sorry, I said ain't, but that was, <laughs> you're not entitled to anything in life. You need to work hard and everyone else around you is working hard. And if it doesn't work out for you, figure out how to get better, figure out, de- develop that skill and then keep going after it. That's toughness there. Love it. Those are two awesome definitions of toughness. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show together. It worked out great, a great dynamic between the two of you guys. And um, I'm excited to, to send this out to, to the listeners. And Kevin, um, good for you for following your passion uh, and doing this and making podcasts like this to inspire people. That's a real gift that you're providing. And I hope a very growing listener audience, and I hope they pass this one on and can help somebody else who may be struggling with their, I've lost a job or, you know, I'm, I've, I've, I've gotten out of a relationship, lost a dear friend and help them move on and really get that that toughness that we just talked about and belief in themselves that they can change their world, they can change their career and they can own their future. Love it. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that this is gonna get this is gonna get shared around and inspire a ton of people. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.